Welcome to The Quiet Corner Bedtime Stories, a peaceful podcast for relaxation and sleep. I'm Annie, and thank you for joining me tonight in this cosy space as I share some of my favourite classic stories to help you relax as you drift away into a world of dreams. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Spotify or Apple Podcasts at The Quiet Corner Bedtime Stories. You can also leave a rating or review wherever you like to listen to this podcast. It's a chance to tell us what you love about the show and it helps others discover it too. In addition, if you listen on Spotify after each episode description, there are questions and polls where you can give feedback on this podcast. I love hearing from you and your feedback helps me choose what you like to listen to and how to improve this podcast. Thank you to all my listeners. Your support is much appreciated. Tonight, we will be continuing Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. In the last chapter, Catherine Morland continued her stay in Bath, attending social events with Mrs. Allen. She meets the captivating Henry Tilney and is hoping to see him again. Chapter 4 With more than usual eagerness, did Catherine hasten to the pump room the next day, secure within herself of seeing Mr. Tilney there before the morning was over and ready to meet him with a smile. But no smile was demanded. Mr. Tilney did not appear. Every creature in Bath except himself was to be seen in the room at different periods of the fashionable hours. Crowds of people were every moment passing in and out, up the steps and down, people whom nobody cared about and nobody wanted to see. And he only was absent. What a delightful place Bath is, said Mrs. Allen as they sat down near the great clock after parading the room till they were tired. And how pleasant it would be if we had any acquaintances here. This sentiment had been uttered so often in vain that Mrs. Allen had no particular reason to hope it would be followed with more advantage now. But we are told to despair of nothing we would attain, as unwearied diligence at point would gain. And the unwearied diligence with which she had every day wished for the same thing was at length to have its just reward, for hardly had she been seated ten minutes before a lady of about her own age, who was sitting by her and had been looking at her attentively for several minutes, addressed her with a great complacence of these words. I think, madam, I cannot be mistaken. It is a long time since I had the pleasure of seeing you, but is not your name Alan? This question answered, as it readily was, the stranger pronounced hers to be Thorpe, and Mrs. Allen immediately recognised the feature of a former schoolfellow and intimate whom she had only seen once since their respective marriages, and that many years ago. Their joy on this meeting was very great, as well as it might, since they had been contented to know nothing of each other for the last fifteen years. Compliments on good looks now passed, and after observing how time had slipped away since they were last together, 
how little they had thought of meeting in Bath, and what a pleasure it was to see an old friend. They proceeded to make inquiries and give intelligence as to their families, sisters and cousins, talking both together, far more ready to give than to receive information, and each hearing very little of what the other said. Mrs Thorpe, however, had one great advantage as a talker over Mrs Allen, in a family of children. And when she expatiated on the talents of her sons and the beauty of her daughters, when she related their different situations and views, that John was at Oxford, Edward at Merchant Taylors and William at sea, and all of them more beloved and respected in their different station than any other three beings ever were. Mrs. Allen had no similar information to give, no similar triumphs to press on the unwilling and unbelieving ear of her friend, and was forced to sit and appear to listen to all these maternal effusions, consoling herself, however, with the discovery which her keen eye soon made, that the lace of Mrs. Thorpe's pelisse was not half so handsome as that on her own. Here come my dear girls, cried Mrs. Thorpe, pointing at three smart-looking females, who arm in arm were then moving towards her. My dear Mrs. Allen, I long to introduce them. They will be so delighted to see you. The tallest is Isabella, my eldest. Is not she a fine young woman? The others are very much admired too, but I believe Isabella is the handsomest. The Miss Thorpes were introduced, and Miss Morland, who had been for a short time forgotten, was introduced likewise. The name seemed to strike them all, and after speaking to her with great civility, the eldest young lady observed aloud to the rest, How excessively like her brother Miss Morland is! The very picture of him indeed, cried the mother, and I should have known her anywhere for his sister, was repeated by them all two or three times over. For a moment, Catherine was surprised. But Mrs Thorpe and her daughters had scarcely begun the history of their acquaintance with Mr James Morland before she remembered that her eldest brother had lately formed an intimacy with a young man of his own college, of the name of Thorpe, and that he had spent the last week of the Christmas vacation with his family near London. The whole being explained Many obliging things were said by the Miss Thorpes of their wish of being better acquainted with her, of being considered as already friends through the friendship of their brothers, which Catherine heard with pleasure, and answered with all the pretty expressions she could command, and as the first proof of amity, she was soon invited to accept an arm of the eldest Miss Thorpe and take a turn with her about the room. Catherine was delighted with this extension of her Bath acquaintance, and almost forgot Mr Tilney while she talked to Miss Thorpe. Friendship is certainly the finest balm for the pangs of disappointed love. Their conversation turned upon those subjects, of which the free discussion has generally much to do in perfecting. A sudden intimacy between two young ladies, such as dress, balls, flirtations and quizzes. Miss Thorpe, however, being four years older than Miss Morland, and at least four years better informed, 
had a very decided advantage in discussing such points. She could compare the balls of Bath with those of Tunbridge, its fashions with the fashions of London, could rectify the opinions of her new friend in many articles of tasteful attire, could discover a flirtation between any gentleman and lady who only smiled on each other and point out a quiz through the thickness of a crowd. These powers received a due admiration from Catherine, to whom they were entirely new, and the respect which they naturally inspired might have been too great for familiarity and not the easy gaiety of Miss Thorpe's manner, and her frequent expressions of delight on this acquaintance with her softened down every feeling of awe and left nothing but tender affection. Their increasing attachment was not to be satisfied with half a dozen turns in the pump room, but required when they all quitted it together, that Miss Thorpe should accompany Miss Morland to the very door of Mr. Allen's house, and that they should then part with a most affectionate and lengthened shake of hands, after learning to their mutual relief that they should see each other across the theatre at night, and say their prayers in the same chapel the next morning, Catherine then ran directly upstairs and watched Miss Thorpe's progress down the street from the drawing room window, admired the graceful spirit of her walk, the fashionable air of her figure and dress, and felt grateful as well as she might for the chance which had procured her such a friend. Mrs Thorpe was a widow, and not a very rich one. She was a good-humoured, well-meaning woman and a very indulgent mother. Her eldest daughter had great personal beauty, and the younger ones, by pretending to be as handsome as their sister, imitating her air, and dressing in the same style, did very well. This brief account of the family is intended to supersede the necessity of a long and minute detail from Mrs Thorpe herself of her past adventures and sufferings which might otherwise be expected to occupy the three or four following chapters, in which the worthlessness of lords and attorneys might be set forth, and conversations which had passed twenty years before be minutely repeated. Chapter 5 Catherine was not so much engaged at the theatre that evening in returning the nods and smiles of Miss Thorpe, though they certainly claimed much of her leisure, as to forget to look with an inquiring eye for Mr Tilney in every box which her eye could reach. But she looked in vain. Mr Tilney was no fonder of the play than the pump room. She hoped to be more fortunate the next day, and when her wishes for fine weather were answered by seeing a beautiful morning, she hardly felt a doubt of it. For a fine Sunday in Bath, empties every house of its inhabitants, and all of the world appears on such an occasion to walk about and tell their acquaintance what a charming day it is. As soon as the divine service was over, the Thorpes and Allens eagerly joined each other, and after staying long enough in the pump room to discover that the crowd was insupportable and that there was not a genteel face to be seen, which everybody discovers every Sunday throughout the season, they hastened away to the crescent, to breathe the fresh air of better company. Here Catherine and Isabella, 
arm in arm, again tasted the sweets of friendship in an unreserved conversation. They talked much and with much enjoyment, but again was Catherine disappointed in a hope of re-seeing her partner. He was nowhere to be met with. Every search for him was equally unsuccessful in morning lounges or evening assemblies, neither at the upper nor lower rooms. At dressed or undressed balls was he perceivable, nor among the walkers, the horsemen, or the curicle drivers of the morning. His name was not in the pump room book, and curiosity could do no more. He must be gone from Bath. Yet he had not mentioned that his stay would be so short. This sort of mysteriousness, which is always so becoming in a hero, threw a fresh grace in Catherine's imagination around his person and manners, and increased her anxiety to know more of him. From the Thorpes she could learn nothing, for they had been only two days in Bath before they met with Mrs Allen. It was a subject, however, in which she often indulged with her fair friend, from whom she received every possible encouragement to continue to think of him, and his impression on her fancy was not suffered therefore to weaken. Isabella was very sure that he must be a charming young man, and was equally sure that he must have been delighted with her dear Catherine, and would therefore shortly return. She liked him the better for being a clergyman, for she must confess herself very partial to the profession and something like a sigh escaped her as she said it. Perhaps Catherine was wrong in not demanding the cause of that gentle emotion, but she was not experienced enough in the finesse of love or the duties of friendship to know when delicate raillery was properly called for, or when a confidence should be forced. Mrs Allen was now quite happy, quite satisfied with Bath, she had found some acquaintance, and had been so lucky too as to find in them the family of a most worthy old friend, and as the completion of good fortune, had found these friends by no means so expensively dressed as herself. Her daily expressions were no longer, I wish we had some acquaintance in Bath. They were changed into, how glad I am we have met with Mrs Thorpe and she was as eager in promoting the intercourse of these two families as her young charge and Isabella themselves could be. Never satisfied with the day unless she spent the chief of it by the side of Mrs Thorpe. In what they called conversation, but in which there was scarcely ever any exchange of opinion, and not often any resemblance of subject, for Mrs Thorpe talked chiefly of her children, and Mrs Allen of her gowns. The progress of the friendship between Catherine and Isabella was quick as its beginning had been warm, and they passed so rapidly through every gradation of increasing tenderness that there was shortly no fresh proof of it to be given to their friends or themselves. They called each other by their Christian name, were always arm in arm when they walked, pinned up each other's train for their dance, and were not to be divided in the set and if a rainy morning deprived them of other enjoyments, they were still resolute in meeting in defiance of wet and dirt, 
and shut themselves up to read novels together. Yes, novels, for I will not adopt that ungenerous and impolite custom so common with novel writers of degrading by their contemptuous censure the very performances to the number of which they are themselves adding. Joining with them their greatest enemies in bestowing the harshest epithets on such works, and scarcely ever permitting them to be read by their own heroine, who, if she accidentally take up a novel, is sure to turn up its insipid pages with disgust. Alas, if the heroine of one novel be not patronised by the heroine of another, from whom can she expect protection and regard? I cannot approve of it. Let us leave it to the reviewers to abuse such effusions of fancy at their leisure, and over every novel to talk in threadbare strains of the trash with which the press now groans. Let us not desert one another, we are an injured body. Although our productions have afforded more extensive and unaffected pleasure than those of any other literary corporation in the world, no species of composition has been so much decried. From pride, ignorance or fashion, our foes are almost as many as our readers. And while the abilities of the 900th abridger of the history of England, or of the man who collects and publishes in a volume some dozens lines of Milton, Pope and Pryor, with a paper from the Spectator and a chapter from Stern, are eulogised by a thousand pens. There seems almost a general wish of decrying the capacity and undervaluing the labour of the novelist, and of slighting the performances which have only genius, wit and taste to recommend them. I am no novel reader. I seldom look into novels. Do not imagine that I often read novels. It is really very well for a novel. Such is the common cant. And what are you reading, miss? Oh, it is only a novel, replies the young lady, while she lays down her book with affected indifference or momentary shame. It is only Cecilia, or Camilla, or Belinda, or, in short, only some work in which the greatest powers of the mind are displayed, in which the most thorough knowledge of human nature the happiest, the liveliest of effusions of wit and humour are conveyed to the world in the best chosen language. Now, had the same young lady been engaged with a volume of The Spectator instead of such a work, how proudly would she have produced the book and told its name, though the chances must be against her being occupied by any part of that voluminous publication, of which either the matter manner would not disgust a young person of taste. The substance of its papers so often consisting in the statement of improbable circumstances, unnatural characters and topics of conversation, which no longer concern anyone living, and their language too, frequently so coarse as to give no very favourable idea of the age that could endure it.